My name is Rick Renner, and today I'm in Moscow, standing in front of a wonderful monument which was constructed in memory of people who died in the past because of evil governments. We don't know who these people were, and really that's the purpose of the monument. Just people, so many faces, so many people that no one knew, no one remembers, but they died at the hands of evil leaders. Evil leaders who sent them to prison, shot them, killed them, took their personal belongings, Truly an example of John 10.10. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That kind of destruction is what these people experienced in their lives. And this monument is to help us remember those people who died because of evil past governments. That's what the devil always does. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to kill. He comes to steal. He comes to destroy. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to find a way to get into your life and take you down until he totally undoes you. But there's a way for you to resist him and make sure he never makes his way into your personal affairs. And that's what I'm gonna to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insight and understanding from the Word of God. Here's Rick. Today I'm going to talk to you about the devil. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't like to talk about the devil. <laughs> Why would I want to talk about the devil? We have more authority than the devil. But we need to know about the devil because the Bible tells us a lot about the devil. We've got more authority than him. We've got the Word of God. We've got the name of Jesus. We can put him under our feet. In fact, the only mention of the devil in the whole book of Romans is in Romans chapter 16, in the last chapter, almost as an afterthought. And in Romans 16, verse 20, Paul says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. In the whole doctrinal book of Romans, where every important doctrine is listed, that is the only mention of the devil. And he is pictured as being under our feet. And he is. He's under our feet because of the work of the cross and the resurrection. However, he still tries to operate. He works, we've already seen in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, as an adversary. That word adversary, the Greek word antidikos, it describes a prosecuting attorney looking for some violation, some loophole, some area where we've broken a law or a principle, and he uses that area of offense, violation, to get into our lives. And that's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be level-headed, think straight, not like a silly drunk, don't drop your guard, be aware, be wide awake, be vigilant. The word vigilant means erect a wall of defense, be on high alert, do everything you can to keep this sinister force on the outside. And then Peter says, because your adversary. Wow. Oh. I'm already getting into the teaching, and I want to tell you first about this product. This is called How to Keep the Devil Out of Your Life. It's a 10-part series based on this series with a study guide that is filled with the most wonderful notes. You can use it to grow personally. You can use it to share with someone else or in a study group. Go through all the Greek words, all the Greek principles, which we cover in this series. It's really marvelous. And with it is a little book called spiritual weapons to defeat the enemy. The back of the book says, there is a real devil that works nonstop to derail your destiny. That's true. 
That's the reason God provided spiritual weapons for you to use. With these weapons, you can counterattack and defeat any scheme the devil would try to use against you. I wrote this book to help you. And today, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time reading from this book about the name devil. Who is the devil? What does the Bible tell us about the devil? Now, again, I don't like to focus on the devil, but he's real. He's real. And we've got to use our brains and do what is right or he'll find access into our life. I remember one time many years ago, Brother Copeland and Gloria were in Moscow. I had picked them up in the airport and Brother Copeland was sitting behind me in the car. And I did not use my seatbelt because back in those days in Moscow, it was not a law that you had to use your seatbelt. So I was not using my seatbelt. And as we were driving along the road to take them to the hotel, I suddenly felt the seatbelt sling around my body and slap me in the chest. And I knew that Brother Copeland was telling me to put on my seatbelt. And I said to him, Brother Copeland, it's not a law here. You don't have to wear a seatbelt. And he said, in a way that only he can say and that I will never forget, has nothing to do with the law, has to do with brains. <laughs> well, from that time until now, I use my seatbelt. It has to do with brains. Why do we use a seatbelt? Preventative action to make sure we're safe. When Peter says, be vigilant, he's telling us to take preventative action. He's not telling us to be afraid of the devil. He's telling us just to use our brains and do what we must to make sure the devil never gets inside our life. Now I want to read to you again, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, how I would translate this verse from the Greek. The King James Version says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. It could be translated like this. Be sober, be vigilant, because the devil, like a prosecuting attorney, is searching for some loophole in your life some place of spiritual violation where you have broken the spiritual law and like a prosecuting attorney, he will try to use that evidence to legally prosecute you and take you down. It's powerful. This tells us the devil thinks and acts like a prosecutor. He looks for areas of violation he looks for areas where you've done something wrong or where you have violated some spiritual law. And that is exactly where he will find entrance into your life to attack you and attempt to take you down. For example, maybe you did wrong with your health. You didn't take care of yourself. And by being negligent and abusive of your body, you've created an access point where the devil can get into your life. Or maybe you didn't spend any time with your spouse and now the two of you are drifting apart and you're screaming that the devil's in your marriage and your marriage is messed up. But the devil doesn't have any right to get into your marriage unless you opened a door for him and gave him a place where he could get inside. And we could go on and on and on. The devil has no right to us. We are the children of God. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Unless we have created an access point for him, he can't get in. But if you'll really analyze your life, if you'll survey your problems, you'll find most of your problems are due to some area of your life where you did not do what was right, or you did something that was wrong, or you violated the spiritual principle, and through that violation, the devil got inside. It's just that simple. Now, 
you can ask for forgiveness, put it under the blood. And in God's mind, it's removed. And when the devil then tries to prosecute you, and the devil says to you, well, you know, you did wrong. And because you did wrong, you deserve what you're experiencing. Rather than argue with the devil, obey the words of Jesus. Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly. Sometimes it's better just to say, you know what, devil, you're absolutely right. I did do wrong in the past. However, I confessed it. It is under the blood. And what I did in the past has no application to who I am today. You're right. That's true about who I was and what I did. That's not true about who I am today and what I'm doing today has no application to me, devil. And resist him and he will flee from you. The word of God promises that. But today, I want us to look at the next thing Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, Antidikos, the prosecutor, and then he names him specifically as the devil. Wow. What does the Bible tell us about the devil? I'm going to read you from my book, Spiritual Weapons to Defeat the Enemy. All scholars of the church, past and present, agree that we have an adversary who hates the gospel and who hates us. The devil's entrance into the life of a believer is allowed primarily through a believer's negligence. He slips in through some uncommitted, unrenewed area, a loophole, a violation, and then begins to wage warfare against us. Rather than hide from this foe, we must turn our eyes to the scriptures to see what God has to say about the devil. And when you read the scriptures, you find that in the scriptures, there are 17 names to describe the devil. For example, he's called Abaddon. He's also called the accuser. He's called an adversary. He's called an angel of light, Apollyon, Beelzebub, Belial. He's called a devil, a dragon. He's called the evil one. Jesus called him a murderer and the prince of this world. He's called the prince of demons, the prince of the power of the air, a roaring lion. He's called Satan, and he's called a serpent. That is amazing. Now let's go one by one and look at all of these names. I'm going to read to you directly from this book, and by the way, I really recommend you order this book. Of the 17 names, symbols, and types that are ascribed to Satan, two are devoted to Satan's insatiable desire to destroy. The names Abaddon and Apollyon are used to describe the devil in Revelation 9-11. The name Abaddon is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek name Apollyon. Both of these mean to destroy. In reference to Satan, Revelation 9-11 says, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. You can be certain the demon spirits over which Satan rules as a king possesses the same destructive nature as their master. They also operate according to the instructions Satan gives them as he sends them forth to destroy. That's what the name Abaddon and Apollyon mean, to destroy. How about the name Beelzebub? Oh, this is very interesting. The name Beelzebub was initially used by the Philistines of the Old Testament to describe the god of Ekron. It literally meant Lord of the Flies. 
Originally, it was spelled Beelzebub. But as time progressed, the Jews altered Beelzebub to Beelzebub, which added an even dimmer idea to this particular name of the devil. The new name Beelzebub meant Lord of the Dunghill or Lord of the Manure. Isn't that interesting? Two powerful images of Satan are presented in these names. First, he is Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Why is that important? This clearly pictures Satan masquerading himself as the Lord of Demon Spirits. Obviously, the Philistines looked upon demon spirits in the same way one would look upon nasty, dirty flies that bite, torment, and irritate. But secondly, Satan is called Beelzebub, the Lord of the Manure. By adding a twist to this particular name of Satan, the Jews revealed a very important characteristic of the devil. Just like nasty, dirty flies, both the devil and his evil spirits are attracted to manure or environments where rotting, stinking carnality pervades. This is the environment where Satan best thrives. So if you're living a carnal life, it means your carnality will send forth a reeking smell that will attract demon spirits. How about the name Belial? The name Belial, which is of Greek origination, means worthless. Worthless. Wherever it's used in the Old or New Testament, it describes something that is filthy and absolutely wicked. This tells us Satan's filthy and Satan is wicked. He's also called a dragon. The word dragon is also used in Revelation 12, 9 to depict the devil. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. It's clear from this verse that the terms dragon and serpent are used interchangeably in reference to Satan's twisted, demented, and perverted nature. And by employing both of these pictures, the Bible presents the devil as a deadly, poisonous, ready-to-strike-and-kill creature. There's nothing good about the devil. Jesus called him the evil one. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus prays what's traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. The Greek actually says, deliver us from the evil one. From this usage, we know the Lord Jesus looked on the devil as the evil one. No one was more familiar with Satan than Jesus. So it's important for us to know that Jesus would label him as evil. Jesus also called him a murderer. That's in Matthew chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus said Satan was a murderer from the beginning. The murderous nature of Satan was first manifested in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8 when he inspired Cain to slay his brother Abel. It was also Satan's murderous nature that inspired Herod to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. We continue to see the devil's murderous nature in the deaths of millions of early Christian martyrs and still today where injustice is rampant, we see murder prevailing on the earth. Murder is a part of Satan's demented nature. He's also called the prince of this world. By calling Satan the prince of this world, even Jesus recognized his temporal control over certain things in the earthly sphere. You might remember that Satan himself personally offered Jesus the kingdoms of this world during the 40 days that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. But Jesus resisted the devil and this adversary fled. But Jesus recognized Satan had temporal authority. He was a prince in this world. 
In Matthew 9, 34, Jesus also calls him the prince of demons. He's called the prince of demons. The word prince is taken from the Greek word archantas, and it refers to one who holds the first place or one who holds the highest seat of power. The title Prince of Demons most assuredly reveals that Satan holds the highest ranking seat among a host of diabolical spirits. The word prince denotes that there is rank and file and some kind of organization to Satan's system of governing his kingdom. He's also called the prince of the power of the air. That's in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. Also, the Greek word archantas, the word prince, which describes one who holds the highest seat of power. This is in complete agreement with Ephesians 6.12, which states that under Satan's control, there are varying degrees of spiritually wicked power, like principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. But among all those varying degrees of evil power, he holds the first place. Then we've already seen in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter calls him an adversary, which is the word for a legal prosecutor. Oh, this is so important. But Peter also calls him a roaring lion. Wow. What awe and fear the mighty roar of a lion strikes in the heart of man. However, in the case of the devil, his roar is more fearsome than his bite. Colossians 2.15 victoriously declares, And having spoiled principalities and powers, Jesus made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. By means of the cross and the resurrection, Jesus Christ stripped demonic powers bare of the authority they once possessed. However, this has not stopped the devil from trying to sound dreadful. Through his continuing hassling of our thoughts, his insinuations about failure, his concoctions of unrealistic fears in our souls, and his constant onslaught against our minds, Satan tries to beat us down into defeat. This constant roaring in our souls is just another attempt of the adversary to wear us out, wear us down, and then swallow us up. Wow. The Bible also calls him an angel of light. <coughs> we find this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, where Paul writes, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. This presents another clear picture of this master mind manipulator. Satan disguises himself to be something that he really is not. Hmm. He shows himself to be an angel of light, or he is even called the devil. The name devil is taken from the Greek word diabolos. It's a compound of the words dia and balos. Dia means through and carries the idea of penetration. The word balos is taken from the Greek word balo. It means I throw as in throwing a ball or a rock. When the two words are compounded, the new word depicts the act of repeatedly throwing a ball or a rock against something until it penetrates that barrier and breaks through to the other side. So in the name devil, we're not only given the proper name of this arch enemy, but also his mode of operation. His name means he is one who continually strikes and strikes and strikes again and again, beating against the walls of people's minds over and over and over again until finally he breaks through and penetrates into their minds or into their lives. He's called Satan. This enemy of both God and man is called Satan, which is taken from the Hebrew word shatana, 
which means to hate and to accuse. It is used more than 50 times in the Old and the New Testament. <coughs> and it also carries with it the ideas of slander and false accusation. It is because of this arch enemy that we've been describing that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church and urged them in Ephesians 6.11 to put on the whole armor of God. Now listen in conclusion. We must not forget that a consecrated life is a prerequisite to real spiritual warfare. If these areas of our life, any area of our life, is left unattended, uncommitted, and unsurrendered, if we've left a gaping loophole, Satan will find it to exert his hellish schemes in our lives. Screaming, yelling, stomping, screeching, shouting at the devil will not accomplish one single thing if we've deliberately or through negligence allowed some area to go unchecked and ungirded. Our lack of commitment and our violations open the door for the devil to begin his attacks against our life. That's amazing. Now that's a lot of information. I hope it's more than information. I hope it's revelation. That's why I think you need to get this book. This book is just loaded with teaching and it's 100 pages that will make a difference in your life. You see, the devil tells us all about our enemy. What nation doesn't study its foe? Any nation who would say, well, we're not worried about the enemy. We don't need to know anything about the enemy. That's a stupid nation. If you want to be secure, you have to use your brains. You have to take preventative action. Just like when Brother Copeland threw that seatbelt around me and I said to him, oh, there's no law here that you have to wear a seatbelt. And he said, this is not about law. This is about brains. Didn't mean that I was afraid to ride in the car. It just meant that brains say, put on your seatbelt. Something could happen. But if you got on your seatbelt, it will prevent something tragic from taking place. And now in the same way, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, says, be sober. The Greek word nepho. Be wide awake. Don't drop your guard. Think straight. Don't think like a silly drunk. Be vigilant. Be on high alert. Why? Because there's an adversary out there who wants to get in. Your adversary, the Greek word antidikos, the prosecutor who's looking for some loophole, He's looking for some area where you've not used your brain, where you've done something wrong, where you've violated a spiritual law or a spiritual principle, where you have done something wrong and it's opened a door so that through that opening, he can wiggle his way into your life. And once he gets into your life, guess what? He'll begin to act like a devil. All the 17 things that we just read. Wow. No wonder the Bible tells us so much about this arch enemy and the need for us to be sober and to be vigilant. Wow. Now, no one knew the devil better than Jesus. No one. Jesus knew him from the very beginning. And in John 10, 10, Jesus said these words, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I wonder what those words really mean. Steal, kill, and destroy. Those words are filled with divine revelation. When you understand these words, it will open that verse to you in a brand new way. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about in the next program. I'll be back in just a moment.
Do you feel like you're under attack? In your relationships, your finances, your health? The Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and made life more abundant. You can have victory in your relationships, your finances, and your health by learning how to keep the devil out of your life. In Rick's 10-part teaching series, How to Keep the Devil Out of Your Life, you'll learn that our lives are under constant assault by the enemy, and he is always looking for a way in. But you can have victory over the devil by learning how to build a spiritual wall of defense around you and those you love. Available in physical and digital formats, starting at just $20. You'll learn how to guard against the attacks of the enemy and fight back when you choose to believe God and commit to His Word. In addition to the teaching series, you can also get Spiritual Weapons to Defeat the Enemy. This book gives you a fresh understanding of the armor of God, the spiritual weapons of war, and how you can defeat every lie of the devil and live in victory every day. Available for just $10, this powerful resource will give you the tools you need to go on offense against the enemy. Don't miss this special offer, How to Keep the Devil Out of Your Life, and or the companion book, Spiritual Weapons to Defeat the Enemy. Call now or go to renner.org to order. It is such a pleasure for me to have time with you every day when I can open the Word of God and walk with you into the Scriptures to exegete from the Greek New Testament and to see principles that really have such impact in our lives. And that's one reason why I want you to have the new series called How to Keep the Devil Out of Your Life. It's these programs packaged with a study guide, and the study guide is loaded with the Greek words and the principles which I'm teaching in these programs. Friends, I want you to build a wall to keep the devil out of your life. That's what this series is about. How to keep the devil out of your life. The subhead on the back says, how to build a wall of protection around your life. Isn't that what you want? You want that for your kids. You want that for yourself. Are you tired of your finances coming under assault? How do you reconstruct your finances? How do you build a wall so strong that they will no longer be attacked? And we're also offering this book that I've been reading from today called Spiritual Weapons to Defeat the Enemy. It's just a small book, but it's 100 pages loaded with revelation. And I think it's really important for you to get this book. It's going to make a difference in your life. Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking to you about John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What in the world do those words mean? Steal, kill, and destroy. I think you're going to be shocked when you hear what the Greek words really mean. It's much bigger, it's much broader than you ever thought. But right now, I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the work of the devil. I rebuke every attack. I command you to loose your tentacles from the life of my friend and to be disengaged in Jesus' name. And for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring restorative powers into their life. Amen. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4. Where the word of a king is, there's power. Let God's word release its power in you today. And I'll see you in the next program. Rick Renner Ministries is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through every available media to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discover the many ways you can help us make a difference in lives around the world with the word of God. We invite you to partner with us in teaching, strengthening, and rescuing lives for the glory of God. Together, 
we can make a difference that will last throughout eternity.